When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply present day <laughs> present time <laughs> good morning afternoon evening to all of you wonderful ladies gentlemen and everyone listening this is the royal deluxe podcast a podcast bringing you breaking news and analysis of the kansas city royals every monday and friday as part of the fans first sports network thank you very much for listening and i say every monday and friday i'm actually a a huge fraud i really exposed myself this week because i didn't do an episode on monday uh frankly i just didn't really watch a whole lot of baseball this weekend i mean i I mean, I don't watch every single inning of every single game or anything because that's just impossible for me to do, but I still keep up with discussions all over the place. I look up stuff, I research a lot during and after and even before games. And so that 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 usually wouldn't be a problem, but at the same time I didn't really do that either. I was just kind of like out of baseball for the entire weekend and I'm like, you know what? Like I mean, I I could look all this stuff up, but it's it was also a matter of like do I choose to sleep today or do I just decide that my health is a, a little bit more important than, uh, you know, doing the podcast? I mean, not that I don't love doing the podcast or anything, but there are some times when I've spent a, a lot of time doing this and then, you know, I don't get a lot of sleep and then I'm just spending the next three or four days recovering from that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy this week. Uh, I'll just I'll just see everyone on Friday. And it was kind of convenient because. This was a really, really slow week for the Royals because they only had two games between Monday and Friday. They had a game on Monday, a game on Tuesday, and then two games off in a row, two days off in a row. That's really, really unusual and no delays or anything. The MLB decided that the Royals were not going to play baseball for on what on May 31st and June 1st. I don't know, maybe that's a weird new quirk with the new scheduling that MLB is doing this season, because, you know, they change the way the schedule works. Every team is now playing every other team. Usually, we just play one division in the National League and also the Cardinals. Instead, we've already played the Giants and the Diamondbacks, and, well, they're, they're in the same division, and the Brewers and the Nationals. So, that's how MLB is working the, these days, which I, I'm, I'm okay with. But for some reason... I don't know, maybe that means that one team just has to take a couple days off in a row. Even though the Cardinals were also off on Wednesday. It, it's weird. They We had a weird two-game schedule and then nothing else. I, I don't know. It's really, really weird, but whatever. Not that big of a deal. So I just figured, you know what? I'm not going to half-ass the episode on on. Uh, Monday, nor will I strain myself to put to put out a quality episode. Instead, I'll just talk about the National Series on Friday's episode, which is what today is. Happy Friday, everyone. We're going to talk about the Washington Nationals series, as well as the return, which or rather, which included the MLB debut or the 2023 debuts of Drew Waters and Daniel Lynch, two things that were pretty highly anticipated this season, as well as the short two game series against the St. Louis Cardinals, where the pitching had quite a day, question mark, really interesting. And then later on, we're going to talk about the upcoming Colorado Rocky series, as well as the return of the Moose, because, you know, Moose plays for the Rockies now. How about that? By the way, I forgot to introduce myself. I am sorry. How incredibly rude of me. I'm Lux. At least that's what I keep telling people. And I am really anxious right now, and I don't know why. I should take something for this. I'm going to do that. These are legal, by the way. I don't do anything illegal. Like, I definitely don't torrent my anime instead of supporting Crunchyroll, because I think Crunchyroll sucks ass. And I and I totally have a subscription to MLB TV 
and and watch it responsibly. I don't use a VPN to tell MLB TV that I actually live in like Phoenix, Arizona, or something. Um, let's just talk about the Royals before I get in trouble. Where in the world is Tucker Wade Bradley? Mr. Bradley, I don't feel so good. Oh no, boys, is it over? Is it equally over? As I would say in some circles. Uh, well, Tucker Bradley, he did start on May 31st. He started on Wednesday, and he went two for four with an RBI, so that's pretty cool. But on, um, Tuesday, he went over three, drew a walk, but also hit into a double play, and those were the only two games he had. Those were the only two games he had, uh, in the entire week. And the most telling thing is that he's only really starting against right-handed batters or right-handed pitchers because he just doesn't hit left-handed pitchers whatsoever. He's only started eight games. In fact, actually, no, he hasn't even started eight games. Uh, he's only taken 14 plate appearances this entire season against left-handed pitchers. So he's probably not even starting those games. Well, I will continue monitoring his progress. I'm not giving up on this. I still believe in Tucker Bradley's supremacy. Uh, we'll just have to see if this situation ever improves and he can, you know, get more time, get more opportunities against left-handed pitchers. It's actually kind of weird that he's not hitting against left-handers at all because it's not like that's been a huge crutch against him his entire career. Like last season, I mean, he only got 92 plate appearances in 55 games, but hit 272 versus 298 against right-handed pitchers. So... I don't know. It's almost like the Royals think it's a bygone conclusion that he just cannot hit left-handed hitters whatsoever. And then 2021, going back another year, actually hit better against left-handed pitchers than he did against right-handed. Hit 295 versus 283 for right-handers. So I, I, I don't know. What's what's the deal? Uh, you know what? Maybe maybe I should be more uh, maybe I should be more energetic. Maybe something's going on. Maybe so maybe it's a conspiracy. Maybe there's some anti-Tucker Bradley propaganda being spread around the Royals organization. The Royals front office are like, oh no, don't let Tucker Bradley into the major leagues because then some guy named Lux on the internet with a microphone is going to become really powerful. He's going to start gloating about it. And he's going to say a bunch of dumb stuff and be really annoying about it. And you're right, I will be annoying about it. But you know what else is annoying? Not seeing Tucker Bradley play baseball! You know what I want, Royals. Make it happen. Mike Myers. This is just his, his seventh career start, but he's making his 200th career Major League appearance, so he's, he's a veteran. Another strikeout. Eight. He had Myers. never had more than five. And Myers and Torkelson are staring each other down. We'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but at least for now, the deluxe moment is Mike Myers, who pitched six innings on Monday, uh, six scoreless innings, and was contributing to a perfect game briefly. I say contributing to because Josh Stamont was the opener in the game, so it's not like he himself was holding the perfect game, but still, Royals were perfect through seven innings. Unfortunately, it did not hold after that, but still, just having that much from a Royals pitcher this season is extraordinary. This was like the best the best thing that anybody on this pitching staff has done all season, so shout out to Mike Myers. So let's get into this series against the Washington Nationals. The three-game series, we lost two games of three because... Of course we did. The Royals lost on Friday by a score of 12 to 10. Oh yeah, this was the this was the crazy game, the super high offensive game. Royals scored 10 runs and lost. Who do you think pitched this game? And then on Saturday the Royals lost by a score of 4 to 2, and then on when on Sunday they won by a score of 3 to 2. I guess I'll continue this by saying on Monday the Royals beat the Cardinals by a score of 7 to nothing and then they lost to the Cardinals on Tuesday by a score of 2 to 1. So that puts their record at 17 and 39. However, some some good news the fact that they lost on, on Tuesday and not Monday means that the Royals, at one point, for roughly 24 hours or so, maybe less than that, were 17 and 38. The Royals had a 17 and 38 record. You know, we kind of were at least hoping this could happen in like 
2017 or no 2018 2019 maybe 2020 2022 i don't know basically every year we've all you know whenever the royals have been super bad we're like oh man what if they go 17 and 38 imagine the memes imagine how incredibly and utterly hilarious it would be for the royals who you know their championship year is associated with the number 1738 because it was a big meme against the, among the royals players they said 1738 a lot in interviews and other stuff they love the, the the song Trap Queen. It's from the song Trap Queen by Fetty Wap, who is now in prison, by the way, <laughs> for selling me illegal drugs that cure my anxiety. That's what he did. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, 1738 just really became a thing that was shared around the clubhouse a lot. So 2015, it's associated with that number. And the Royals having a record of 1738 is not something that is necessarily desirable, but it's a small silver lining. It's like, you know what? Yeah, there was a lot of losing that had to be done to get here, but at, at least they made a funny meme number. At least for once... The Royals have given us something to laugh along with as opposed to something to laugh at. Or maybe we are laughing at it, but we're actually having fun laughing. We're not laughing out of um, agony. But Friday, yeah, that was this uh, this game where every single player on both teams just decided to have a great day on offense. Which is funny because going into the sixth inning, the game was only 2-1 to one in the Royals' favor. <laughs> It was quite a, 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 an interesting last few innings, especially the sixth inning, because Jordan Lyles pitched this game. And, and it's funny, on Friday, when I was you know getting ready to watch the game, I was sitting down, and I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling good about tonight. I, I, just, I just feel it. I've got some good vibes going into tonight's game. I think Jordan Lyles, this is this is going to be the game where he really settles down and he, you know, kind of goes back to what he's always been throughout his career. An, an okay, maybe not even okay, but le- uh, 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 at least better than terrible pitcher. And, you know, Royals are going to get a nice little W here on a, on a nice Friday night. And I, I'm like, yeah, feeling really good about this. I think it was, uh, I, I tweeted exactly how long the, the good vibes lasted uh da, 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 da. 53 seconds that's how long my optimism lasted because immediately the washington nationals hit a leadoff double after i posted that tweet 53 seconds later and yeah Nationals scored that inning however jordan lyle seemed to really settle in he seemed to be doing a lot better got a scoreless second got a scoreless third got a scoreless fourth even got a scoreless fifth, and I'm like, wow, look, look at Jordan Lyles. And, and not only that, but hey, he even had the lead in the sixth inning because the Royals scored two in the fourth. So Bobby Wood Jr. single-handedly gave him a run because he hit, he hit a leadoff double that inning and then stole third base, and then, or rather, in the process of doing that, the catcher made an error. He threw the ball away, so he he was able to deliver that run himself. He had a uh, a, a multi-step home run, and then Michael Garcia, the spark plug, uh, drove in MJ, MJ Melendez with a double. So Jordan Miles is in a good position right here. He's act he's he's in the sixth inning, doing pretty nicely. Hasn't given up a, a crap ton of runs, and even has the lead. And he does not record a single out in the sixth inning. Overall, the Nationals score eight runs in this inning. He double, double, walk, home run. That's how the inning goes for Jordan Lyles. Double, double, walk, home run. Five runs, five innings. Once again. And Josh Stamon comes out and is looking all right. All right, he gets a couple of outs. Then, walk, single, walk, double, single, strikeout. So, Josh Stamon does nobody any favors here. He gives up four more runs in this inning. And then Bobby Wood Jr., Leads off the next inning again. For some reason, he's hitting off. He's hitting leadoff in a lot of innings now. He's not the leadoff hitter. He just happens to be hitting leadoff sometimes. 
uh, bottom of the six, immediately homers. Okay. And it's like, all right, well, you know, Bobby Witt Jr., garbage time home run. That, that's cute. That's fine. Whatever. It does start to matter because the next inning, Michael Garcia leads off singles, Drew Waters, singles, Matt Duffy, walks, Vinny Pasquantino pops out into the infield. Come on, Vinny. Come on. What are you doing? What's going on, buddy? You should have you crushed that thing. You got that. It was down and away. Still, you had that. Then Salvi doubles to drive in two. And then Bobby Wood Jr. homers again, baby. Yeah, Bobby Wood Jr. hits two home runs. And I kind of say manufactures a home run of his own by leading off with a double and then stealing third and then running home on a throwing error. And it was an overshot at that because he was a triple away from hitting for the cycle in this game. And he needed that triple. He he ran like he it was going to be a triple and he thought it was a triple. Instead, it was an actual, it was just a home run. It was pretty close though. I think they call those a gentleman's cycle because it's, it's very polite to not hit for the cycle and instead just generate more runs by doing something better than a triple. Ah. But I'm happy for him either way. That's my bust right there. I'm just going to start calling him Bust Wit Jr. Because y'all think that he's a bust or something. I could play off of Bobby a little bit better. But, um, no. Man, Royals pitchers just were absolutely allergic to the lead. The only pit, the only guy who seemed to really show up in this game was Amir Garrett. And even he was, you know, really trying to, 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 to blow it open again. He pitched in the top of the seventh, seventh when the game was pretty much lost, seemingly, before the Royals scored five runs that inning. And, uh, he walked three batters in the inning. What is it with Amir Garrett and walking all these guys? I don't get it. Bro, you don't need to do that. You don't need to walk the first batter you see, okay? But he got out of it without giving up a run, so uh works. You know, we, we are approaching the trade deadline, and I'll say that uh, I, I do like Amir Garrett. I appreciate him. I really respect him as a person, but I am not going to miss watching him pitch in relief. Results be damned. ERA be damned. I'm just... I'm just kind of tired of going through this every time of him walking every batter, wa- walking the bases loaded and then just inducing a ground ball, double play or something or striking out three guys in a row. It's just like, OK, dude, you don't need to do that every time. Not all of your appearances need to be stressful like this. So if you are a fan of a good baseball team and are interested in watching a seventh or eighth inning that makes you want to die then uh, call now. Please call J.J. Piccolo. Uh, I don't know his phone number. Uh, One Royal Way. That's the address Kauffman Stadium is at. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri, somewhere. Or, or, or I don't know. Just yell at me. At Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter. Garrett was able to hold on. You know who wasn't able to hold on? Jose Quas. He gives up three runs in his outing. So, overall, the Royals lose 12-10. to 10. They did They did try. They really tried to come back in this game. It was, it was what, 9-3? Or 9-2, actually. Until it was 9-8. So, and then eventually it was... It was <laughs> Even when it was 12 to 8, Royals still tried to come back again. They made it 12 to 10. I'll give you a thing that Randy Jazierly posted on Twitter after this start. The Royals have scored 35 runs in Jordan Lyles' last six starts. They scored six plus runs in four of those six starts. They scored double jid they scored double digit runs twice. They lost all of them. Yep, Jordan Lyles has started 11 games for the Kansas City Royals. The Royals have overall lost all of those games. He himself as a pitcher is 0-9. There's one guy in baseball who has seven losses. Bailey Falter of the Philadelphia Phillies, who is 0-7 this season. And then there's a bunch of guys who have six losses. But Lyles stands alone as not only the only the only pitcher with eight losses, but the only pitcher with nine losses so far as well. Yep. 
How about Drew Waters, who came back with a two-hit game that night? Now, his whole stretch back from the IL hasn't been great. He's hitting 188 with no walks, uh, only singles so far, and eight strikeouts and 18 plate appearances. So, not great on paper overall, but at least this one first game was good. And then he also had a really good game defensively on Monday, the really important game where a really important pitching thing was happening. Yeah, he made a nice play out in center field. So overall, uh, he did have that one good game. Everything else not so good besides the defense, which is fine. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about Drew Waters defensively. I need to really look at him long term to have more of an answer for that. One thing, one I guess a blanket statement I can easily make right now is that I'm just fine with him at center field like why like this is you know it it falls into what i said what the royals need to be doing this season they need to be, be they need to have very definitive yes or no answers to whatever questions they have and one of those questions is can drew waters actually play center field i think they might as well just leave him out there until kyle isbell comes back or they get someone like dyron blanco up in here so anyway thanks to his two hits the royals were able to get 13 Overall in this game, 10 runs, uh, 5 walks, and only 9 strikeouts, which is pretty good. Um, and, the, and it was really the bottom of the order who was striking out. Freddie Fermin had a 2-strikeout game, went 0-5. for 5. Yeah, sorry, Freddie Fermin. Sorry, Freddie, buddy. Um, but Michael Gar- Michael Garcia struck out 2 times, which is a little bit unusual. And Drew Waters also struck out twice, but... Both of them had two hits between each other, and Michael Garcia drove in a run. Most of the scoring was done by Bobby, as I said. He had five RBIs for the for the day, went four for five overall, and Salvi had three runs of his own, and he had a two-hit game. And, you know, Bobby hitting fourth, that's just what happens. This is what's possible. You put Bobby fourth, he's going to drive in runs. He should not be batting leadoff, and I'm glad that the Royals did that. I'm surprised the Royals did that when they did, but yeah, they moved Bobby Witt Jr. off the leadoff spot, and I feel like it's doing a lot better for the offense, especially because, you know, whoever we do have hitting leadoff can get on base. For a while, it's been Nick Prado, which I've really enjoyed. Prado was kind of off on this game, so they had Matt Duffy leadoff instead, which I'm not entirely sure how I feel about overall, but it worked in this case because he got on base three times with two walks and a hit, so all right. But yeah, you put Bobby Wood Jr. at the middle of the order, in the middle of the order at the 4-5-6 slot, and yeah, he's going to bring in guys. This is a much better lineup, I think. And the lineups, I do think, have been getting better. Maybe it's because there are not any guys on this team that I completely despise seeing in the lineup on any given day, except for maybe Edward Olivares. But on Tuesday in particular, I looked at the lineup and I thought, wow, this is basically perfect like all things considered this lineup on Tuesday is as good as it gets for the team Prado hitting first Vinny hitting second Salvi third Bobby hitting fourth MJ fifth Michael Massey sixth Michael Garcia seventh Nicky Lopez batting eighth and Drew Waters batting ninth like yeah these are the guys that I want to see in the lineup more often than not. Maybe not Nicky Lopez instead bring up somebody else, basically. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm also. I also don't dislike Nicky enough to be like, oh, get this guy out of here already. But like the only thing I can really optimize is take Nicky out of the lineup. Don't have him be a starter. Let Michael Massey play second base. And then the DH is Olivares. Yeah, that's basically like that would be as, as perfect as it gets, I suppose. But I also don't like Olivares that much, so this is basically going from like 98% to 100% if that's opti- if that's how, how we're optimizing it. If you if if having Olivares in the lineup counts as optimizing it. I do hope that they maybe stop moving the lineup around, stop moving guys around a whole lot and just let these guys settle into their roles right here. I feel like at this point everyone kind of knows what they can and need to do. So hopefully they can just focus on that and that will lead to some better bo- better better baseball. Better boss ball, that's what I was saying. Better bocce ball. And the lineup on Friday was pretty similar to the lineup on Saturday, which went into the game with a pretty good game plan against Josiah Gray, I think. Uh, Gray is someone who has a really low ERA but is not necessarily good. He's 
kind of all over the place in general this season, and Royal seemed to really know, know about that, and they took advantage of it, because they got him out of the game after four innings, he gave up three walks and only recorded six, or sorry, four strikeouts. Salvi got a hold of one for his 12th home run of the season, and also in the first inning, Royals were able to score off of a wild pitch. On the other side, Brady Singer was doing pretty alright. He was looking terrible for the first couple innings of the game. He gave up three walks, including like 10 balls in a row in the first inning or something. It was just, it was just awful, uh, but he was able to hang in there. And was a, it, and really recovered. He bounced back, was looking good in innings three, four, five. And then it, sixth inning comes around, stays in the game, and dies instantly. Just immediately gives up a single, gives up a double. And at least this time, Q had a better sense of uh, pulling the starting pitcher. It, it, maybe this is why we have Jordan Lyles on the roster, so he can ro- warn other pitchers that the sixth inning is where you go to die. So Q sees two hits in a row to lead off the inning. He's like, I'm not doing this shit again. Get the hell out of here. Brings in Josh Taylor, who is um, marginally worse, actually, and just completely ruins the whole game. So, uh, yeah, Royals lost. That's it. <laughs> yeah, Nationals had another big inning. They scored four in the sixth. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not liking this Josh Taylor guy very much. I'm thinking the the, the Royals might have lost the Adalberto Mondesi trade because Adalberto Mondesi, by not playing baseball at all this season, uh, is somehow more contributive to the team than the Royals, who are just actively losing games with Josh Taylor. <laughs> on the roster i mean seriously josh taylor literally did nothing except ruin everything single single walk double he didn't even record an out and then carlos hernandez an actually pretty good pitcher this season which is not something we've talked about a lot on this podcast and maybe i'll just continue to not talk about it because maybe if i do talk about it it'll get worse i don't know but he ends up uh figuring things out he ends up getting he he, he stops the bleeding closes out this inning, and then gets another scoreless inning, and that was it. That was all. That was all. Royals lose 4-2, so not a terrible game, I suppose. It just sucks that the the Royals hitters started off pretty well, but then didn't really do anything late game. So, yeah, it's not like the Nationals have a crazy good bullpen, but eh, Royals just didn't know what to do against them. And then our bullpen is like a game of Minesweeper, where you step on an 8, and it's like, okay, well, I know everyone around me sucks, but... Even then, going out beyond is no guarantee that it's going to be any better. So you're basically just taking chances with guys. And every now and then, or maybe maybe a lot now and then, you just blow up and die. Josh Taylor has an 8.15 ERA right now. Yeah, I don't know. It might be time to uh, be getting ready to learn Chinese, buddy. And then Sunday... I maybe had the least expectations out of any day because we were going up against Mackenzie Gore, who used to be the top pitching prospect in all of baseball. He definitely fell off after that, but still, I'm just kind of looking at that. I'm going to think, I don't know, maybe one of these days. And so far this season, he's been pretty good. So, And indeed, he was looking fantastic. He pitched seven innings, got 11 strikeouts, only one walk, and only one run overall, like Royals just did not have much against him and he struck out everybody in this roster everyone everyone in the royals lineup got struck out at some point i don't know if it was maybe by mackenzie gore specifically but some someone struck someone out meanwhile the royals had daniel lynch out on the mound lynch making his season debut after starting the whole season on the injured list for a shoulder thing i believe it was and we've been hearing, we've been keeping tabs on how he's doing in the minors uh, along his um, rehab start. And me personally, Lynch is the guy that I have the most expectations of improving this season thanks to the new coaching. I've really believed in the talent that Lynch has. I am a big believer of it, and I just believed that last season he was just not getting the help he needed. He was just not getting the proper guidance he needed. I mean, I, I would often remark on the podcast, I'd be like, hey, doesn't it seem like Daniel Lynch is talking to Zach Greinke a whole lot more than he's talking to his actual pitching coach? I mean, not that Zach Greinke doesn't have valuable information for him or anything. I'm sure he does. But still, you just don't hear a whole lot about how Lynch talks about the pitching coach. 
who I would imagine would be the guy you'd be talking to the most on the team. But anyway, Lynch's start was pretty much just okay. That's all I can really say about it. Nothing really stood out about it, which is both a good thing and not a... It's it's like a good thing and maybe a slightly bad thing. It's not like how we felt about Chris Bubich when he first pitched this season where we're just like, oh my god. Okay, something's like way different about Chris Bubich and that's awesome. Nothing stands out too different about Daniel Lynch so far this start. And the results were five point five and a third innings pitched with only two earned runs. Uh, six strikeouts, three walks. The three walks is what you want to uh, cut down on. But hey, he's getting strikeouts at the very least. And, uh, yeah, n- n- not too many mistakes. Like, there were a couple, but one of them wasn't, like, like one of the runs given up was a solo home run to some guy who hit it, like, like five feet above the zone. It's just like, how how did he even do that? That's ridiculous. That's not something you can really blame Lynch for. Like, it was a pitch that even Salvi would have looked at. But I don't know. Weird things happen like that sometimes, I suppose. And it didn't end up mattering too much because the Royals ended up winning. MJ Melendez got a solo home run in the seventh as Gore was approaching 100 pitches, so good job capitalizing on that. And to lead off the eighth inning, Edward Olivares, <laughs> the guy that I've been saying that the Royals should put on waivers because I'm too stupid to realize that he actually still has options left. <laughs> mm. Edward Olivares, um. Hit a 452-foot home run. (laughs) A home run so big that it literally broke the Hall of Fame scoreboard. Like, I I wasn't watching the game on Sunday, but I was listening to it while I was doing other stuff on my computer. And, uh, you know, so I I heard them. I, I saw the home run itself. I didn't notice the black panel on the scoreboard. Um, after uh, upon impact, and so afterwards, you know, I they were talking about oh there there's literally smoke coming out of the of the of the scoreboard the the scoreboard is smoking as they would say, and I just thought that was a joke. I'm just like oh yeah, he hit it so hard it bounced off the scoreboard. So ha the scoreboard's on fire now. But then I see like way later. No, it actually was smoking. There was smoke coming out of the Royals Hall of Fame because Edward Olivares broke the scoreboard. <laughs> that is that is something. That's really interesting. You know what? I am just going to continue complaining about Edward Olivares. That's what I'm going to do. I am just going to continue dismissing him, continue to play down his ability to play baseball because you know what? When I do this, he plays better. He 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 just does. Like I I was believing in him going into the season. I thought, yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be okay. And then he gets off to a, a pretty poor start. He starts he he starts hitting not very well. The first twenty games, he's only hitting two forty or so. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I don't remember when specifically I said this, but this was when I'm like, okay, I think I'm done with Edward Olivares. I don't really like him very much anymore. I think he's whatever. Uh, we'll say this happened around April twentieth, all right, when he was hitting two forty. Since then, after that, he was hitting. Uh, we'll go to May eighth. After the, between that, he was hitting two sixty nine with a three fifty six on base. His numbers were looking way better on the season overall, and I'm thinking, okay. You know what? Maybe maybe I was wrong about Ollie. Maybe I w- maybe it was wrong for me to say that he should be off the team. Maybe he's actually a lot better than I'm giving him credit for. And then since May 8th or so, he was hitting 175. It's actually going into today, so this is not really help this home run does not really help his case all that much. But still, I believe without much scientific proof that there is some correlation between me shit talking Edward Olivares and Edward Olivares playing good baseball. So or at least hitting better. So I will just hope that this continues. Uh nothing can make change my mind about the fact that in the outfield he has a direction sense of finding Dory and also has the hand eye coordination of an elephant. There's nothing that has changed my mind about that. That is just factually true. So he has to hit better. He has to hit a, a lot better than he is at right now in order to make up for that. But Maybe I, I will just continue to reiterate it so that maybe it will have a likelier chance of happening. By the way, speaking of home runs, should have mentioned that MJ hit his opposite field. That is exceptionally rare for him. He does not hit the opposite field, like, ever. 
He has been doing it a lot better lately, though. Uh, I, I, I don't really know if I can find information about this. I don't know if I can find proof of this. Because, uh, like, Baseball Savant just has the spray chart for the entire season. There is no, like, going back on it or whatever. Uh, but I remember seeing it. I remember looking at the spray chart, and he had literally nothing in left field after a month or so. I don't know, six weeks maybe. And now it actually looks like he's spreading the ball around a lot better. He has a few of those oppo home runs. He has a few doubles out there. So... It, it, it's good that he's hitting the ball to the opposite field a little bit more. Uh, I was about to, you know, like if it, if it continued on any longer, I was seriously considering writing an article about how MJ Melendez was just going to be Joey Gallo. Uh, but he might be he might be on the path to uh, getting out of that comparison. And also speaking of MJ Melendez, he got on base in the bottom of the ninth inning and even reached second because, I don't know, the Nationals suck. <laughs> And with two outs, who comes up to the hit? My new favorite Royal, Michael Massey, who rips a 111 mile an hour single right to the right fielder practically, but he was just too scared to make the play. Royals win, baby! Oh, who doesn't love a walk-off win like that? So, Royals win 3-2. Daniel Lynch does not you know, get outdueled by Mackenzie. I mean, he, Mc, Daniel Lynch gets outdueled by big bad Mackenzie Gore, but is not on the hook for a loss. He has a pretty okay debut to the season. The bullpen is able to hold it in this time. And Royals win with a little bit of long ball, a little bit of small ball. Some things didn't go so well because, you know, they struck out like a billion times and Bobby Wood Jr. himself struck out three times. Ugh. But they won. So that's what matters in the end. And But then on Monday, Monday was a game that the Royals won with no mistakes whatsoever. Like, there is literally nothing I can complain about, except for maybe the fact that Q didn't completely optimize the bullpen usage to maintain the perfect game. Perfect, per- personally, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't care enough about that. Like, is it weird that I wasn't mad about the perfect game not being held intact because man because Q decided to leave Mike Myers out. So what what happened is that you know Josh Stallman pitches the first, gets a perfect inning. Mike Myers, you know, he, they they do what the, they they've been doing. They have Mike Myers out in a sort of piggyback role where he's like a he's like a, a pseudo starter where he pitches 5 innings after someone pitches the first. That's what they're doing with Mike Myers. So that was the plan. But because there's a perfect game going on, they decide to have Myers pitch the sixth as well, rather the seventh. Or wait, no, he does pitch the seventh. He actually he actually gets not just five, but six scoreless innings. So Mike Myers has actually gone above and beyond his expected role, where he was only expected to pitch five innings. No, he gets six scoreless. But then, top of the eighth, or rather bottom of the eighth, Q has Mike Myers come out and pitch again, and immediately gives off gives up a leadoff hit. And I've seen people upset about that, people upset that Mike Myers shouldn't have seen the order the third time. He shouldn't have been out to pitch this game or with the perfect game on the line. And by the way, this would have been not just a perfect game against the Cardinals, a team that is considered to be a rival, even though the Cardinals themselves really don't care about us all that much, but whatever. But it would have been the first combined perfect game in MLB history. Yeah, that's never been done before. That, that, I did not know that. That just seems like one of those things that would have happened at some point, like, accidentally, like a combined no-hitter. But no, there's never been a combined perfect game before. Weird. But I don't know. Am I the weird one for thinking that I didn't actually care all that much? I mean, honestly, I was just looking at this game thinking, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to be a... A cynic. I don't want to be like a guy who didn't want. Like I wanted it to happen. Okay, let, let let me get that. Let me let me get that across. I really wanted this to happen. I just simply did not believe it was going to happen. I'm just like, there's no way. These guys, these Royals. Nah, I ain't buying it. I mean, yeah, of course I wanted it, and I was glued to my seat the entire way. I was I was looking at each pitch, thinking, oh my god, what are they doing? <laughs> Like, there was almost a part of me that was, like, 
annoyed in a joking way where i'm just like okay these guys have been so bad this entire season and they think they can throw a perfect game like are you are you freaking kidding me bro get out of here with this what am i watching this is this is just this is ridiculous like it, it it was almost like a prank like i feel like i was watching a prank happen i mean i guess i just didn't care all that much because i already saw Mike Myers pitching six scoreless innings as a, a total victory for the Royals anyway. It's like, it's like I don't know. I guess I wasn't all that invested in the perfect game because I didn't want to be disappointed and I didn't want to be mad about it because I still want to just look at the overall game and what happened in this game as a win. Like, just getting six scoreless innings from Mike Myers, just getting five scoreless innings from Mike Myers would be a victory in and of itself. The Royals were already winning three to nothing by this point. MJ Melendez had a pretty cool triple in the game to score Salvi from first. <laughs> Poor Salvi. <laughs> oh, Salvi did not like having to run that hard for that long. <laughs> I felt so sorry for him, but he did it. He did it. Hey, shout out to Salvi. Vinny drove in a run and had a three-hit game, and man, I feel like Vinny really needed to have a multi-hit game like that, so good for him. Finally, getting a good game for the first time in a while. Nick Prado, leading off once again, he had a three-hit game of his own, went three for six. Nick Prado has a batting average on balls in play of 460, so that is supposed to come down 160 points. So I don't want to say that, you know, he's hitting 301 with a 395 on base as if it's going to stick, but at the same time, I feel like the Babbitt was also way higher you know, back when he was hitting like 340, and obviously that was going to come down, but still, I feel like the fact that it's this late, or maybe not late, but you know, he's been playing a lot longer, he's been playing a lot more, after 30 games, basically, after 31 games, he's still hitting around 300. I feel like that his batted ball data, it's going to regress to the point where he's only contributing modestly, and that's still probably going to keep pretty good numbers on him. The one thing that is strange about him, though, is that baseball is basically saying he's one of the worst defenders in the entire game. He has a negative four outs above average, which is which is actually tied with Vinny, interestingly enough. But also keep in mind that Nick Prado has played significantly fewer games than Vinny. And in fact, most players on this team on this on, on this list, this list that I'm looking at that I did not specify before saying that uh, the list of. Uh, all players in baseball sorted by outs above average. Vinny and Nick Prado are tied with a bunch of guys for 21st. Or maybe they're not tied, but I don't know. Nick Prado is 21st at the very least. Edward Olivares, who I've been complaining about so much, is at negative 5. Which is obviously not good, especially this early into the season. Well, I mean, I say this early into the season. We're already like a third of the way into the season. So, uh, yeah, yippee, guys. But... I mean, it's just, I'm just saying, so far, the metrics are saying that Nick Prado is maybe a worse defender than Edward Olivares, which is just a little bit weird because, I don't know, he doesn't look that bad out there? Am I weird for thinking that? Maybe I'm just not paying attention, or maybe there just needs to be more data. I don't know. Just something I felt worth mentioning, especially because he was supposed to be a gold glover at first base, although for what it's worth, he is playing the outfield a lot. And so far, Baseball Savant is saying that his, uh, his outfielder jump is terrible. And maybe that's where all the outs above average are going. Maybe he's really bad in the outfield. I don't know. But if nothing else, I mean, I think the bat is way more important. And so far, he's got that. So I hope that he can keep it up. Even as the, you know, the batted balls, well, you know, his hits are going to start to betray him at some point. But also someone who had a really good game is actually two guys. Number one, my favorite Royal, Michael Massey. Two hit game with a walk. Went two for three overall, including, you know, the walk off. But also, Nicky Lopez went four for five. Nicky Lopez had a four-hit game. He actually could be dealt at the deadline. This is something that I'm starting to see a lot more. Uh, maybe it's just people hoping that all happen, Royals fans hoping that all happen. And I've been kind of, like, mixed on it, mostly because I've just been thinking, like, who exactly is going to want Nicky Lopez on their roster? And even still, like, Nicky is never going to be, like, a great hitter because he doesn't hit the ball hard at all, like, whatsoever. Particularly, he has a, almost a complete inability to barrel the ball, and without skills like that, you, you, you're you only going to get so far. 
But even still, like if he can still just get on base, if he can just hit, if he can just hit, just hit a little bit, just slap some singles around and also have a good approach, take a few pitches every at bat, get get some walks every now and then. He has a 385 on base this season. Like he's actually walking a lot and also play elite shortstop, elite second base, elite third base, then you know what? He really could be an asset to be dealt at the deadline, and maybe a team would be really willing to pay for him. I mean, he still has two years of control left as well, on top of all of this. And I mean, hey, the shortstop market is pretty bad right now, and it probably will be bad for another few years because every team just paid for a shortstop for the next 10 years. Every shortstop in the league has a 10-year deal now. So Nicky Lopez could be an interesting guy to watch as uh, in the next, even if he's not dealt immediately, could be interesting to see uh, what the market would be like in a year or two. But yeah, I do, I do like me some Nicky Lopez. I am a Nicky Lopez enjoyer myself. So nice two games overall, right there. Those two wins were great. And then the Royals lost on Tuesday. They lost two to one. Uh, it was a, it was a game. Zach Greinke pitched. Uh, five scoreless. Zach Greinke's looking pretty good. Five scoreless and also six strikeouts. Like, we're we're starting to see good Zach Greinke again, even though he was pitching on the road. But even that's really normalized. After he had, like, a 10 ERA on the road, it's down to five and a half, which is not amazing, but it's a whole lot better than it used to be. Aside from that, it was just it was just a game. Miles Michaelis, or Michaelis, was the uh, pitcher for the Cardinals, and he was just on one that day. Uh, eight scoreless 10 strikeouts, only one walk, only three hits. Royals just really didn't have much against him. And funny enough, um, like maybe you could say the 10 strikeouts is like, oh, look at them. They were swinging at everything again. They're just hacking away at everything. Um, not entirely, honestly. And I actually say that the Royals didn't have a whole lot against him. Uh, but the first inning was like pretty good for what it's worth. Like this is a game that where like the Royals lost and they didn't do a whole lot well, but you also can't get too mad at them and complain too much. But in the first inning, uh, Nick Prado was hit by a pitch, so that's just what it is. And then Vinny singles. So that's pretty cool. And Salvi flies out, and it's whatever. Uh, he actually advances the runner, so that's cool. Now, Bobby comes up, and he actually did something that I've been saying that he should. <laughs> like, like if you uh, go back and listen to me talk about how my plan for Bobby is to just have him take his first at-bat without swing, swinging the bat. Just go up, don't swing at all, whatever happens, happens. Well, he, he almost did that in his first appearance of Tuesday's game. He takes two pitches in the zone. He looks at them. They're strikes. They're called strikes. But he looks at them, he doesn't swing. And then the third pitch is well outside. Uh, he, Michael is totally misses with that. It's whatever. Fourth pitch, he should have looked at. He swung. It was a curveball that landed out of the zone. So he got fooled there, but man, at first I was actually thinking, "Wow, he he's it, it this is this is happening." The thing I've been saying, Bobby should be doing the entire season, where he should just have one at bat where he doesn't swing at all. He almost did it, and I'm actually a little bit proud of him. Uh, I just wish he didn't swing at that obvious curveball. Now the Royals almost scored once again by a Michael Massey single to to right field. MJ Melendez was on second; he was sent home. Probably not a good send. Uh, MJ tried to get creative and dodge the, the the catcher. Uh, didn't work, but great attempt. Um, I don't think I can even be mad at the base running because it probably wasn't his call to be sent home. So, eh, it is what it is. That's just how I feel about the game. It is what it is. They do eventually score with a force out. Uh, so, so not a very eventful game for any hitter, even the one that did drive in a run technically, but eh. It, it, it's not a game I'm all that upset about. The only thing that sucks is that it marks the first time in franchise history where they go into June 1st having not had a single three-game winning streak so far this season. The Royals have not won three games in a row at all, ever, in 2023. Ever in one specific time frame. But before I uh, close out with the upcoming Rockies series, I do want to... I, I, I should have made this point earlier when I was talking about Mike Myers, but I wanted to, to say that it is really good to have Daniel Lynch in the rotation now. And Mike Myers really 
exceeding expectations in like every possible way. I mean, I'll say it again. I went into this season looking at Mike Myers thinking he's not going to pitch for us. If we have to see Mike Myers pitch on the Kansas City Royals, something has gone terribly wrong. This is the break glass in case of emergency kind of guy. I saw him as triple A depth and nothing more. And this guy has a 1.35 ERA in 13 innings pitched. How the hell? Now, I'm not getting my hopes up and saying that this is going to last or anything because obviously not. But even then, it's not like, 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 like watching him pitch. Sure, he's giving up a few walks and not striking out a lot of guys. He's not pitching very hard. But it also doesn't necessarily look like he's just straight up getting lucky. I mean, he is. Obviously, but not in such a way where it's like, okay, yeah, he should have a five ERA by now. I mean, I remember having to watch Glenn Sparkman pitch. I I watched Glenn Sparkman's complete game shutout, and that was just I mean, you can tell like that that guy just didn't have it. He wasn't he wasn't a very good pitcher. With Mike Myers, I don't have that same feeling. I don't look at him and think like, oh yeah, this guy is gonna be out of the league in, in like a month. I mean, again, I don't want also I also don't want to say this I don't want to project any optimism and say oh yeah Mike Myers he's like he he's a starter for the future he's someone we need to build around we need to extend him this offseason you know he very well could be a guy that will just disappear by September or even come August and we'll maybe think oh hey remember that one time when Mike Myers almost pitched the bulk of a complete of of a perfect game that was interesting but even still, like, 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 like deflating, however, like deflating Mike Meyer optimism, however much I can, I'm still really impressed with what he's able, what with what he's been bringing to the team so far. Just having him around and having him pitch five innings in relief, that is still really, really good because the Royals do not have a lot of guys that are able to do that, be it talent-wise or just health-wise. And now we have Daniel Lynch again, who I think is someone that can go five innings and be relatively all right doing so. It does cure my anxiety oh so slightly, where I'm not wondering, oh my god, what are the Royals even going to do for the next week? They literally don't have pitchers. That's how I've been feeling for the past couple of weeks. But now it's like, okay, our rotation is Zach Renke, Brady Singer, Brad Keller, Daniel Lynch, and Mike Myers to an extent. Is that a good rotation? No. Oh, I forgot Jordan Lyles exists. So there, there you go. There's another guy in the rotation. I also forgot Brad Keller is injured, so he doesn't actually count. Oh, man. Yeah, I forgot Brad Keller has a shoulder injury now. I, I don't remember when that was announced, but... And I don't even know if it's true. I don't know. Brad Keller has been all over the place this season, and maybe the Royals made it up just so we can just so they can not have him pitch anymore. Or uh, I don't know. Maybe he really was injured, and he was just pitching injured, and that's why it was so bad. In which case, boo Royals. But in any case, I don't feel as much dread about the status of our starting rotation going forward as much as I did a couple weeks ago. Again, not a great starting rotation or anything, but at least there is a starting rotation again to an extent because Mike Myers isn't like a he's been not he's not being used as a true starter he's being a he's a piggyback but he's a piggyback guy he's essentially what Ryan Yarbrough was supposed to be so yeah I'm I'm just glad that this is a little bit better right now I mean just just having a starting pitcher just having a guy that can throw innings I mean this is why Jordan Lyles was signed just having a guy that can reasonably go six innings or so that really helps and it's really important. I mean, there's only five people that you need for a starting rotation, but still, acquiring those five, it can sometimes prove really difficult, let alone having five guys that are actually good. But just having Daniel Lynch back, that's 20% of the rotation filled in right there. That's like a really, really big hole that has been closed in the team. Now, there are still a lot of really, really big holes on this team, but it feels like a step in the right direction, finally. And hopefully Mike Myers can at least stick around and hold on until, you know, later into the season when maybe whatever pitching we do have is at a better point where they can at least make a start here or there. Kind of like Angel Zerpa did back in 2021. In fact, Angel Zerpa will probably be back by then. I don't know. Maybe we'll see him in the rotation come September. 
But then other guys who are kind of in the mid-level of the, of, of the minors or higher and are getting a little better, maybe Austin Cox will be a little bit better and we can actually be confident that he can be a starter, at least temporarily. Or Anthony Viniziano or Alec Marsh. Those guys could be here making a start here and there in the majors this season. We just need someone to get us there. And if it's Mike Myers, then okay, I'm not going to complain. <sighs> and hopefully I won't have too much to complain about with this upcoming series because the Royals are going up against a team that is actually evenly matched with them. Like, like seriously, the, the Colorado Rockies are in several ways like the Royals. Now, the Rockies are 24 and 34, so they are technically seven games better than the Royals. But here's what I have written down. They have a 260 batting average, which is seventh in baseball, uh, which is actually really good. They have a 321 on-base percentage, which is 16th in baseball, and a 407 slugging. This is all as a team, by the way. The Colorado Rockies, their, their, their slash line is 260, 321, 407. Their slugging and on-base is about average in all of baseball. Their average is very good. That overall contributes to a, a, a weighted runs created plus of 84, which means that as a team, they are 16% below league average. How is that possible? The, I, I just said that their stats are overall average or above average. Their, their, their batting average is really good. They're on base and their slugging is pretty good. Why, are, why is it an 84 weighted runs created plus? Well, it's simple because Coors, that's it. That's the answer. Coors Field. It's an offensive environment. Everyone knows this. The Royals, by the way, have a... Have a uh, the Royals have a weighted runs created plus of... 84. So the Rockies are actually as good as the Royals are when it comes to hitting, or as bad as they are. I don't know. They're pitching, meanwhile, they have a team ERA of 5.28, which is 29th in baseball. You want to know where the Royals rank? 28th with a 5.06 ERA. And their starters, their starting rotation, the Rockies, is 6.05 which, believe it or not, is not last in baseball. It's 29th. Royals are 28th with a 5.35 ERA from their starting rotation. And their bullpens are a little bit better. 4.4 ERA in their bullpen for the Rockies. It's actually 23rd in baseball. Royals, it's 4.7. Uh, so, in general, when it comes to the pitching and it comes to the hitting, the Rockies are actually pretty much right there along with the Royals. Except that, you know, they just play in a, in a ballpark where it's a lot easier to hit and also hit hard. And they're actually going to be playing in Kauffman Stadium where it's not so easy to hit very hard in this park. But we'll, we will see. We will just have to see how this goes. The starting pitching for this series. Royals are going to send out Jordan Lyles. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate that we're not pitching in Coors because, man... <laughs> Or maybe it's maybe it's fortunate. It's unfortunate that we won't be able to see the spectacle of seeing 2023 Jordan Lyles pitch in Coors Field. But maybe uh, it's a good thing that we won't have to suffer that either. Uh, meanwhile, the Rockies are going to send out a guy named Chase Anderson who has a 1.13 ERA. Or sorry, a 1.31 ERA on the season. In 20 innings pitched so far. Okay. Sure, why not? Here's something else that's interesting about Chase Anderson. He has a strikeout through nine rate, rate of less than five. So he's not even striking guys out. <laughs> Dude, just People just don't know what to do against him for some reason. Uh, so yeah, his fielding independent pitching is 4.25 uh, versus a 1.72 ERA. So there is some there is some shenanigans going on there. He is he is cheating the system. So we will just have to see. Don't let that 1.3 ERA deter you. This is not a very good pitcher right here, but I mean, it's a lot better than Jordan Lyles. <laughs> so, there's that. And then on Saturday, the Rockies are going to send out Austin Gomber, who has a 7 ERA. He, he's almost as bad as Jordan Lyles. He's there, Jordan Lyles. That's who this guy is. 11 starts, 54 innings flat. Uh, so, yeah, he's leading the National League in earned runs so far this season. 
How sad. He also doesn't strike out any guys. He has a strikeout rate of less than six. That is definitely the worst thing that the Rockies have with their uh, with their pitchers. Like you would think, like you, it would be easy to say that oh, Rockies pitchers can't be very good because they play in lol cores. But actually, they're they're doing way more than just not give than than, than just getting hit around and and letting guys hit home runs. Yeah, their uh, K through nine rate as a team is only seven and a half, which is worst in baseball, and their walk rate is. 3.9. They're walking 3.9 hitters per nine innings. That's 27th in baseball. The Royals are 28th with a 4.01 walk rate. So, yeah, once again, Rockies are right up there with us in terms of incompetence. This should be a fun series. So on Saturday, uh, the Austin Gomber game, Royals are going to bring out Daniel Lynch. So let's go. Let's let's see it. Let, let's go, Lynch. Um. Yeah, and then on Sunday, it's going to be Brady Singer from the Royals. We'll just have to see how he does. I have no confidence. <laughs> I have no idea what to expect with Brady Singer at this point, so I'm not even going to try. Meanwhile, the Rockies are going to send out their one actually good starter. They have Kyle Freeland, someone who's a little bit underrated because, you know, he's pitched for the Rockies and hasn't been very good, but in terms of, like, ERA plus. Yeah, he's solid. He's a 4.22 ERA. That is an ERA plus of 121. Guess what, though? He also doesn't strike any guys out. <laughs> he's a, he has a, only six strikeouts per nine innings, limiting the walks decently, a little lower than two and a half per nine. Um, and yeah, nothing really stands out about this guy that that's like good. It's just that his ERA is pretty low so far in 64 innings, 4.22. Uh, we'll have to see. This is actually considered the good part of the Rockies rotation, by the way, because they have just been absolutely destroyed by injuries. So they've got that going for them as well, just like the Royals, where they can't have a starter just stick around for more than a couple of weeks without dying. Yeah, <laughs> the Rockies are going through the same thing. Herman Marquez is out. Ryan Feltner is out. They got this other guy who's out. They've got all these pitchers that are out with injuries, like anybody who has made a start for this team is out for injury. So that's pretty unfortunate, but we're not really going to see too much of that. We're not going to see a lot of the oddballs with like a 20 ERA, uh, unfortunately. Instead, we'll see a bunch of hitters. Uh, Rockies lineup, it's made of guys who just kind of exist, I think. Some guys who can do like some kind of cool stuff every now and then, like Ryan McMahon, make some good plays. CJ Crone will hit like 550 feet blasts. Out of, out of cores, but we're not playing there. And also, he's injured. <laughs> For some reason, everyone on this team is injured. You know who's not injured, though? Moose. Moose is coming back to KC. Moose has already been back to KC. Um, I think we saw him, like, last year or the year before. Yeah, it was the year before, I think. Uh, so, so that was pretty cool. But, yeah, who, who would have thunk that out of all the guys on that championship team that haven't retired yet... The one that would stay in the league the longest was Moose. Yeah, because Hosmer got DFA'd by the Cubs and hasn't been picked up by any other team so far. And even the Royals have said that they're not interested because I mean, Q was asked about it and he's just like, we don't have room. We already have Prado and Vinny, so we can't put another first baseman on the roster, which is a good answer. So Moose is still around, although... Barely. He's hitting 232 this season with a 320 on base, which is actually pretty good, but only a 366 slugging. The Moose is not loose anymore. He has two home runs this season. Oh, Moose. Oh, what happened to you, Moose? What happened to you, buddy? Well, we still love him. He's still our guy, and of course, we have so many fond memories of him. I was someone was asking on the on R slash Casey Royals and they were asking like what your what the what the be, what what everyone's best memory of Moose was, and I was thinking the I don't have a specific memory, but I did go to a three game series. Believe it or not, oh my god, I just now realized this is crazy. I went to a three game series for the first time in my entire life. I went to three games in a row, all one opponent. That team was the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, the the one time the Rockies have played in KC, I saw them. I went to all three games, and um, that was late August when the Royals were still kind of in the wild card race, though not really, but we still pretended. And also, 
Moose was one home run away from tying the record. So, not only was there a good showing for all three games in Coffin Stadium because people are still cared about the team, but also the excitement for Moose get, getting the long sought after franchise record for home runs in a single season. He was at, I think, the home, the record was 36, right? Which is just crazy to think about. So yeah, he was at 35 uh, going into this series. It was really funny too because I I pre-ordered tickets for the three game series like months ago, so I knew that there was like I probably did this in like May or June, and I'm thinking, all right, there's no way I'm going to be able to see it. Moose is going to hit thirty Moose is going to hit thirty six well before that probably at the rate he he's hitting. But then he really slowed down in the second half, so I had, it actually came to this series where he's one away, and I'm like. Oh my god, I have three games where Moose is one away. This is going to happen. I'm going to see it. And man, everyone really wanted it. Everyone in the stadium wanted it. Just all around the stadium, you would hear these mutters of Moose. Everyone was so excited. There were people like running around, walking around the outfield with gloves. Or maybe it was Zach Hamble and I just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> I even made a sign for one game that said Balboni Watch on it because you know Steve Valboni was the guy who had the record earlier and the the subreddit the fan, the r/casey royals the moderators of the of there at the time before I was part of it um they had a podcast they had they had their they had a subreddit podcast and they called it Balboni watch so I brought a sign to like advertise the podcast and also cheer on moose and unfortunately he did not hit a home run that series. It didn't happen, and oh, I was disappointed. But it was still a really great time. I was still it, it was still really fun to go to all three games. Royals won two of them. One of them was with an Eric Hosmer walk off homer, a three run homer against Greg Holland. How many coincidences? How many coincidences happened in this one three-game series? I mean, I don't know. There are lots of coincidences. Coincidences that happen in baseball in general. We see them every single day. So I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot, a lot of coincidences happen, and they're going to continue to happen. But we'll talk about them whenever we get there. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Royal Deluxe Podcast. Hope you have a good weekend, everybody. Make sure you're subscribed to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on and send any and all feedback you would like to at Royal Deluxe on Twitter or Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter. My apologies. Or you can yell at me directly and make it really personal by yelling at me at the MF and KC on Twitter or anything else, anything you want to send to me in secret, send to royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you no matter how violent it is. Even if you don't do any of that, thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day anyway. And I hope you have a good day and a good weekend as well. I'll see you on Monday. Until then, I'm Lux and go Royals! <laughs>